All right, everybody, welcome to the uh, May 8th edition of Cascadian Views. It has been quite a while. A lot of things have changed. Uh, I'm married now. Also, Chris, you you followed Biden over to Ireland, if I remember right. I did, although technically I think it was the other way around. <laughs> uh, and then, Dan, you're, uh, you're in set for the busy season of work, so glad you can make it in. Yeah, we'll see how many times I can make it this month, but glad I'm here today. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's get right into it. And I guess we'll start with that Ireland trip because it was I don't think it was the most consequential trip of Biden's presidency, but it was definitely the one that seemed the most important to him. Uh Ireland also seemed to go above and beyond in order to claim Biden as their native son. They made a very big deal about how he's of Irish descent, and he made an equally big deal about it as well. He cried a couple times while he was on that, that trip there. Uh, it really seemed kind of cathartic for him. It's the most engaged I think I've seen him be on one of these overseas trips. Was there uh, Was there anything like that that you guys got from it? Yeah, well, I actually got the, <clears throat> I guess I got the flip side of it, which was seeing how excited they were in Ireland. And it was, it was such a big deal there. And it made me think about how, you know, <laughs> how a U.S. president going somewhere is like an event that, say, an Irish prime minister visiting America would not be. Um, but specifically because of his heritage, it was just all the radio stations were talking about it. It was the lead item on the news. Everybody seemed really excited, like genuinely happy. This was uh, kind of a, a pretty slickly produced event, I think, uh, is probably my biggest takeaway from there. One thing that I posted to the group is that Biden actually had entrance music when he was coming out to a lot of his press conferences. <laughs> uh, kind of like something from the WWF where, you know, they, they play your music before you walk down the uh, the walkway to the the ring. Uh, in this case, he chose the Dropkick Murphys. Because he is kick-ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will have to say I'm a little disappointed. They went with uh, shipping up to Boston, which... I, I'm kind of a hipster about the Dropkick Murphys. I've been listening to those guys since like 1999. That is one of their more commercially successful songs. And it, it just makes me cringe a little bit. You know, go for a little bit more of a deep cut, man. He was the one on the Departed soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this all kind of happened against the background of some domestic drama actually quite a bit of domestic drama but i think in particular uh we are rapidly approaching the depth ceiling uh kind of drop deadline here yellen has informed congress and the president that her tricks with deferring payments and you know magic accounting and all that are going to run out probably at the very beginning of june and uh yeah. People don't seem to care that much. No, it's stunning lack of urgency. <laughs> but yeah, what can you do? <laughs> the House GOP has finally managed to come together and, and put together a debt ceiling plan. One that has left 
a lot of Republicans not very happy. I don't know if you've been paying attention to them bitching at each other in the media, but uh, GOP moderates, quote-unquote moderates in the House, are uh, feeling a little bit like they got rolled. Uh, at the start of the must-pass day, uh, McCarthy made a big thing about how the bill was frozen, there were going to be no changes, the, uh, the, the party had to come together and pass it. And then, like, three hours later, he completely changes the bill to please the Freedom Caucus. Uh, but but it, was, it was the Freedom Caucus and all the nuts that were the dissenters on the bill, too. I mean, the, the moderates still voted for it. They did. <laughs> Although they are they're making a lot of noise to places like Politico that uh, the Freedom Caucus doesn't think that they're going to have to give up any of the things they got in the bill. Uh it's not a starting point to negotiation. It's what they are demanding. And, oh boy, that is not going to yeah. go so well for them. No. So now they're having the same experience same. dealing with the Republican Party that all the rest of us have been having for years now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the House plan is, is pretty much dead on arrival. The Senate may or may not come up with something on their own. Um, I've been feeling for a while that we are, we are heading for the coin. Uh, I, I don't really see how we can avoid it at this point. I don't think these bills are getting through Congress in time. I don't think there's going to be something for Biden to sign. If there is something for Biden to sign, I'm not sure he's going to be willing to sign it. Uh, but I, I think that's largely academic because I don't think the Senate is going to pass anything that the House is happy with. So I don't, think this is going anywhere no i mean at this point i think it would take you know the the house moderates growing a pair you know and passing a discharge position and which jeffries has said he's going to try yeah uh house leadership on the democratic side has been pretty pretty blunt about the fact that they're going to circulate a discharge petition for signatures uh yeah. nobody on the gop so far has signaled that they'd be willing to sign it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and on the senate side they've also a whole bunch of republican senators as in almost everyone has come out against having a clean bill definitely does not seem at all like this is going to go well for pretty much anybody No, no, it's looking very dysfunctional and looking like something that's going to be a question of is the Supreme Court going to force the government to default? I I don't think they can. Not yeah. there. Let me rephrase that. There are potential realities where the Supreme Court does do that. I cannot see the Supreme Court uh, pulling out a red card for the platinum coin. Uh, we had a little bit of a discussion about the group uh, in the or about this in the group, and one of the things that I was, me, Chris, and JJ were all talking about was uh, why we don't just do the Fourteenth Amendment argument. Uh, the 14th Amendment includes the clause that the president uh, shall ensure the full faith and credit to the United States. Uh, and I, I pointed out a little bit that that's 
messy. You know, the reasonable minds can differ about what the president is allowed to do under that, whether it supersedes other parts of the Constitution, whether or not there's any sort of resistance to that idea. Uh, I pointed out that, you know, you can, whereas the coin, th that's pretty much black and white. Like, Congress passed a law that says the president can mint platinum coins in whatever denomination he chooses. And it's not like that language snuck into there. Every other coin minting bill specifies the dimension, or not the dimension, excuse me, the denomination of the coin. You know, coins worth such and such amount of money. The platinum coin is the only one that leaves that entirely up to the president. Congress has already authorized, legally, the president to mint this coin. Uh, they will argue that that is not what they meant by the law, that they meant that he could, you know, choose what denomination of ceremonial platinum coins he could do that's reasonable, you know, intended yeah. to be reasonable and not a trillion fucking dollars. Right. But it's not up to the president to fact check Congress's work. You know, he, he just gets to look at the bill and do what it says. He doesn't get to, like, read anybody's mind or shit about it. So I, I don't see SCOTUS stepping in. For the coin, maybe maybe I'm not. Yeah, yeah, they might want to wait off of crashing the economy too, just to prove a point. I mean, you think so? But Clarence Thomas is Robert in a lot of hot water. He might want to, you know, <laughs> might want to step yeah. out of the spotlight and let something else take over. This sounds like something that could push that out of the headlines. <laughs> it would definitely create some headlines. <laughs> well, and I said in that group discussion that I like I like the FU aspect of going with the Fourteenth Amendment, but yeah. I'm not sure we want to put that before this. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably anything find some was... way to determine the Fourteenth Amendment was wrongly founded or something. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to give this court something. <laughs> yeah, a second bite at you know the Reconstruction apple is not, I think, beyond them. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so with this going on and the you know potential fiscal flip that the U.S. is facing, uh, Biden decided it was a good time to announce he was seeking re-election. I <laughs> have thoughts and disagreements about this. Um, I, obviously he's running again. I don't think that was ever in question, but. I do think he should have held off on being an official candidate until basically the last possible second. Uh, and this was apparently a, a big debate within Biden's world. Uh, in the group a couple weeks ago, I shared a Politico article about two schools of thought within the Biden administration that they should get in. Uh, the first one that they should get out in front of Trump um, and take this fight now. Not not wait, not seed news to him. And the other ones were saying, you know, when you're president, you're above it all. So stay president as long as you can and be a candidate later. And I very much agreed with that. Uh, I think one of the most powerful things Biden can do right now is just fucking ignore Trump. Trump does not matter at this moment. Biden is president. He controls the levers of power. He doesn't have to respond to things. He can continue being president. He can be above it. Trump does not quite demand the news coverage that he used to. Uh, he still demands some, but 
it's not anything like it used to be. It's not this suffocating sort of media circus that sucks all the oxygen out of the room. And you could almost physically see how much it bothers him. That, that is true. Uh, I, I think that is one of the biggest advantages Biden could hold on to. And by declaring now, it does become sort of a they're on equal footing sort of thing. You know, they have to answer questions about each other because they're both candidates. Uh, I, I think that was a mistake. Obviously, he pays people a lot more money than I make to determine these things. And they've decided the other way. But I am second guessing it a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to think about that a little bit. I mean, on some level also, I mean, one of the things he's going to, I think part of their strategy is going to be asking people to make a comparison pretty clearly. I mean, they're going to say, do you want us or do you want Trump? I think that is going to be a pretty big, clear point of comparison. Do you want the chaos of 2017 to 2020? Or do you want normal? And and they're going to have to invite that comparison at some point and remind people of Trump. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. For, and for that, they're going to have to invite the comparison. It's not a, hmm. the the comparison is already kind of being made, and I I don't feel like it hurts that comparison for Biden to go on working and not. Sure. get directly involved with it because uh, it has been a remarkably scandal-free administration there is I, I realize i'm partisan in this you know i i have been a democrat for most of my adult life i have worked in paid capacities for the democratic party i am i am a democrat so i am not an independent i am not above this fray or anything like that uh, i do have opinions on these things but I'm not stupid, you know, I'm, I'm able to recognize when my side fucks up. And from my experience, there's only been one thing that's really broken through from the administration, and that was, that was the exit from Afghanistan. I, I think that was a disaster in, in a number of ways. Uh, but aside from that, which, you know, one real scandal over four years is pretty good betting. Like, that's, that's not a bad track record. Once I step back and, and really think about it, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I am amazed a little bit about how different it is. There used to be multiple scandals a day, routinely. Like, this was just <laughs> a Tuesday. And, like, six things happened that we had to be outraged about. Uh, so it is incredible to me. That we got through four years with one, like, actually, you need to pay attention, they're doing bad shit sort of situation. That is, that is going to be the biggest selling point, I think, our candidate has. Is that it's not just he promises normality, he delivered on normality. Biden is boring. Biden is fucking boring as shit. And, and thank fucking God. Yeah. I mean, I made a comment the other day about how it's been refreshing thinking again about the times where somebody rolling a natural one on their attempt to eat a pretzel was like a week's worth of news coverage. 
whereas that would be about three minutes during the Trump administration. You know, there was a time where uh, the president throwing up on the Japanese prime minister, A, cost a superconducting <laughs> super collider, but B, was also the biggest news in, in history at the time that it happened. Uh, and that's totally true, by the way. That did cost us our super collider. I don't know if you guys know the background on that. Yeah, I didn't realize they took it that personally. Well, so, okay, this is off topic, but I'm totally going to explain this. Reagan approved the superconducting super collider. Its budget ballooned over time. George H.W. Bush comes into office. He kind of wants to kill it, but we've already invested like billions and billions and billions into it. So we, we kind of want to get over the finishing line too. And we want a partner with it. We have also been cheerleading the fact that this is going to be an American project, but Americans out in front and the rest of the world won't have anything to do with it for a while. So people were not interested in helping us. The one country that was actually willing to put down some money and invest in this with us was Japan. Uh, and H.W. Bush was supposed to bring this up and agree to a funding number with the Japanese government. Uh, in a bilateral meeting after dinner, a dinner that ended with the president puking all over the Japanese prime minister, and then that meeting never happened, and they didn't get around to bringing it up again. So, yeah. That... Oh, man. <laughs> there's, some, there's some butterfly wings there. But yeah, H.W. Uh, Bush chucking up on the Japanese prime minister cost us basically the Large Hadron Collider being... American, you know, a, a 12 mile underground super collider in Texas. Wow. A couple of years later, Bill Clinton was the one who, who finally pulled the plug on that after it was just ridiculous amounts of money over budget. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that boringness is. Is good, but I think we could have you know, stuck with being boring for a while instead of having to campaign on being boring already. Yeah, I could see that. All right. Okay, Chris, uh, speaking of the former president and the many, 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 many scandals he had, he uh, missed his last chance to testify in his... Uh... <sighs> Is defamation trial about a rape? He's not actually on trial for rape. He's on trial for defaming somebody after he raped him. Yes. Why don't you give us a breakdown on that? Yeah, so the trial has been going on for um, a week or two. It was actually a fairly speedy trial. And his defense team was laughably goonish the whole time. Um, and the other side was very professional. and provided very moving testimony and, and painted a very believable picture. Um, so kind of the last, the last thing that the Trump side could have done was put him on the stand. And there was speculation that they wanted to, or that he himself wanted to, but um, there was a deadline this weekend to do that because other than that, the trial had concluded. It concluded without the defense team even making a closing statement. Um, <laughs> So he decided not to probably very wisely because his, his deposition alone was horrid. I, I can't imagine anything helpful to his case would happen. 
There were reports that his uh, defense attorney threatened to quit if he took the stand. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's reasonable on the attorney's part. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about the deposition that went so horribly. Yeah, so in, in the deposition, he uh, did a deposition with the, you know, with the attorneys for the case. And he told the prosecuting attorney, who is a woman, that he also would not rape her <laughs> because she's not his type. Oh, man. What a charmer. His principal defense being, right. I couldn't have raped her. She's not my type. Oh. Uh, I, I just want to add another wrinkle to this that I thought was quite interesting. He, uh, he repeatedly, I think at least twice, confused her with uh, Marlo Maples. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. His ex-wife, who yeah. presumably was his type. So I think that undercuts him a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> not that she's not my type is any sort of defense to begin with, but you know, saying she's not your type and then confusing her with a woman you married doesn't yeah. doesn't look so good. Yeah, this was in the course of like the standard, you know, do you recognize the person in this picture? <laughs> yeah. Uh, his excuse, by the way, was that the picture was blurry. Uh, you uh, also... So Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because of because this was basically the last thing that could have happened in the trial, they will go to deliberations this week, probably, and it's, it is entirely possible that we could have a decision by Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, I'm vaguely wondering if it's even going to take that long. Like, I'm... Yeah, I'm somewhat bracing for us to get a verdict while we're on the air today. They started deliberations <laughs> this afternoon, or they will start it this afternoon. I am right, right. not entirely convinced it's going to take until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you pointed out earlier, but it's worth mentioning that this is a civil trial. And so basically, it doesn't have the same burden of proof as a criminal trial would. It, its burden of proof is not beyond a reasonable shadow of doubt. It's more... It's preponderance of the evidence. Likely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also that a unanimous jury isn't required. I, uh. So I, I don't see any way. <laughs> I, I usually hear preponderance of the evidence described as more likely than not. Um, right. Yeah. I don't think that's quite true. Uh, Dan, you're probably going to be the biggest expert on this, but. Uh, our high school had an American law class. I don't think that's actually that common among high schools throughout the U.S. Uh, from my experiences talking to people. But one of the things that we uh, we learned in that class was that you can't prove preponderance just on statistical likelihood. Uh, Mr. Lanehart, one of the examples he used was if you're hit by a truck, a delivery truck at night, and you're not sure which truck hit you, but you can look up and know 60 percent of the trucks on the road in your town were from this company and 40 percent was from the other company it's not enough to win just to show that it was more likely than not that that company's truck was the one that hit you uh it's a little bit more nuanced you do need to have some sort of evidence in your case is that right accurate yeah yeah i think you 
you're you're getting to it there. Yeah, I mean, the general concept though is that you know the evidence shows that it was more likely this was the outcome, or that you know this is what it points towards. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as that goes, the only the only evidence that his story is true is that he's saying it's true and that she didn't hold a press conference at the time, basically. Yeah. Would be it. Which is Every super other understandable. Piece of evidence that has come up. And then, uh, in addition to this trial in New York, there's also some stuff going down in Georgia where the legislature just approved a bill that would allow them to remove this district attorney. Really? Yeah, had you not That's seen that? I had not seen that. Let me, uh... Let me pull up the I actual mean, law here, then. Wondered what was taking them so long. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed a bill into law that would result that could result in the ousting of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, who is weighing criminal charges against former President Donald Trump. I'm quoting from Newsweek here. The law signed by the Republican governor on Friday will establish the Prosecuting Attorneys Qualifications Commission. The panel will be comprised of six former or current federal attorneys and two other lawyers who have the authority to discipline and remove prosecutors found to be not upholding their law enforcement duties. Critics have accused Republicans of supporting the legislation as a means of controlling local prosecutors in the state's more liberal areas, such as Atlanta, including Willis. Yeah. Yeah, I think the idea of this is definitely, yeah, not upholding your duties means, yeah, filing a charge against Trump. So, right, yeah. Uh, to quote Kemp, yeah, to quote Kemp, as hardworking law enforcement officers routinely put their lives on the line to investigate, confront, and arrest criminal offenders, I won't stand idly by as they're met with resistance from rogue or incompetent prosecutors who refuse to uphold the law. Yeah, basically, they're if the DA does something that this panel believes brings ill repute or if they are refusing to prosecute crimes uh, that are crimes under Georgia law, they can be removed. This is largely seen as a target effort to remove uh, prosecutors who are uh, in favor of some sort of criminal justice reform or uh, low-level drug offense reform, immigration policies that they don't want to charge, things like that. And in one particularly big case, whether or not they're going to indict the former president. When does this law go into effect? Uh, let's see here. By the APR. Tells me. Effort continues anti-crime campaigns, accusing Democrats of coddling criminals and improperly prosecuting marijuana offenses. Uh... Looks like we're going to affect this summer. Well, that's conveniently timed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't give a date this summer. It just said where the board would be constituted this summer. Kind of interested to see what they have on the board. I could, I could see myself not getting that offended by this if it's a pretty wide swath of political opinion on this board. You know, if it's got to be something that pisses off both sides politically before they remove you, I, I could see that. Uh, 
But if this is just, you know, retaliation, I think that's pretty repugnant. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, they do point out in the AP article that uh, Democrats were actually supportive of a similar measure back in 2020. Uh, the Georgia DA who uh, was eventually actually charged with interfering in the police investigation to the killing of Ahmed Arbery. She tried to, uh, tried to prevent charges from being filed there. So, like I said, it, a lot's going to depend on implementation. I'm going to have to wait to see the board and, and who all is represented on there and, and what this would really look look like. Uh, although it seems like the current impetus was both the Trump case from Fulton County there and also a number of district attorneys in Georgia have announced that they're not going to be prosecuting abortion-related offenses after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Seven of them, in fact. Seven Georgia DAs have announced that they won't be bringing any sort of abortion. All right. I wonder what the, what the challenge to this looks like. I mean, probably Can you nothing. Can challenge the state's ability to do this? I don't think so. They're, they're pretty well within the rights to set... Uh, set standards yeah. yeah i i do do kind of wonder if you can get into some sort of uh, political interference in the judiciary is hard the judiciary is checked by the political branch like they are supposed to be uh in the separation of powers argument there is supposed to be something the legislative branch has above the branch but i'm not entirely sure this is it now, this isn't impeaching somebody. This is impeaching everybody, basically, and then just letting some people go because you're okay with how they're doing. I don't know how it applies, but we'll see. Uh, you did say that the Georgia DA was filing something today, uh, Chris. So what is that? Uh, yeah, so in a filing that came out today, um, they basically didn't describe what it's about or the import. Or et cetera, but they said that of the 12 fake electors that they <laughs> have been investigating, that six of them are cooperating with the case. Wow. I actually did not expect them to get more than half there. Yeah. And so it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty good indication that they're looking to indict somebody. And yeah. As for who that somebody would be, it's hard to say, but um, the district attorney also sent out a letter, I believe two or three weeks ago, um, to state law enforcement, basically saying, it is possible I may issue an indictment in July and August. If I do, please be prepared, because there could be mass uproar. So... <laughs> I wonder who he's talking about there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, kind of in relation to this, uh, this is now an old news story, but it happened while I was on my honeymoon, so we, we haven't covered it for like a month. Um, 
the this case I think was the one that Pence was needing to testify in, correct? Uh, it was actually the special counsel. Oh, okay. Pence testified to. Okay. Uh, well, let's just bring up that fact. Uh, Pence testified <laughs> about Trump and 1-6. Uh, he did get a little bit of a wiggle room for the very first time in American history, actually. This was kind of an important ruling, and I have to say, I'm actually kind of okay with this part of it. The, uh, the federal judiciary recognized uh, the vice president as a member of Congress when he is performing his duties as president of the Senate. Uh, Pence was arguing that the speech and debate clause uh, prevented him from testifying. The judge kind of weighed everything up and did agree that Pence is covered by the speech and debate clause while he was uh, performing his duties as president of the Senate. But it only applies to what he was doing in the Senate. It doesn't apply to any of the lead up, doesn't apply to his actions as vice president, uh, doesn't apply to Trump trying to overturn the election. He can be made to testify about his interactions with Trump. He just can't be made to testify about what he was doing or what happened in the, the Senate that day. Um, which I, I think I'm okay with. I, I mean, he's performing a legislative duty if, you know, say Trump had managed to stay in power and, you know, wanted it to haul him before the court because he wasn't fully backing him. Uh, I, I find that kind of useful. So, I, I don't know. How do you guys feel about it? Is the vice president really a senator? I mean, they don't. I mean, the, the clause is speech and debate, and all they do is vote. They, they don't, they don't <laughs> speak on the Senate floor. They don't say anything. I mean, they observe, but I don't know. That's, I don't know. I don't I... know if that's. I just like the pre the precedent that the vice president, while performing legislative duties, is basically ministerial. He doesn't really have a choice in that. You can't make him testify about that. That's a legislative function. Uh, sure. That had never been applied to the vice president, because the vice president is not a congressperson. He does have a congressional role, though, as president of the Senate. So I think right. acknowledging that is, is actually kind of good for the rule of law, uh, especially because it did not impact anything in this case. I mean, maybe Trump called him up on the floor when people were starting to charge that place. But if so, I can't imagine yeah. it being anything more than like, hey, you see that noose outside? That's for you. Which... <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> have the courage, Mr. Pence. <laughs> yeah. I, any of those important conversations actually happened while he was vice president, not when he was president of the Senate. So I don't think it actually impacts his testifying in this case whatsoever. Yeah. All right, Chris, you wanted to highlight Montana and Tennessee going a little bit nuts. Uh, Montana, I, I believe what you're talking about here is them kicking the transgender legislature off the floor. Well, cutting her mic for a few days once she didn't get the hint kicking her off the floor. Uh, and Tennessee expelled some Democrats who turned around and came right back. Right. Right? Okay. You want yeah. to dive a little more into that? <laughs> Well, so, I mean, neither of these was the most effective fascism in the world, but 
they are both essentially uh, one party in a state legislature deciding to disenfranchise members of the other party when they say things they don't like, purely basis of saying things they don't like, which I think we can agree is democratically problematic. Uh, let's be a little fair. In Tennessee, it wasn't saying things they don't like. It was doing things they don't like. Montana right. was well, saying things they don't like. Yeah, but I mean, and there's a background there too, right? So so the formal complaint was that the the Democratic legislators were, after a mass shooting in Tennessee, were basically speaking out for a gun safety legislation and used like the equivalent of a Mr. Microphone, <laughs> like a home PA system to do it. Yeah. Um, I felt it pretty similar which, yes, to the... Is disruptive. <laughs> yeah. I felt it pretty similar to the the U.S. House kind of sit-in protest about uh, about gun safety too. Um, it, it's harmless. It's bringing attention to an issue that the Republicans would rather you not think about. It's it's just abusive. Yeah, yeah, and and the background of what was going on there is that the Republicans routinely refused to allow Democrats to speak on the floor of the state legislature or cut off their microphones in mid-sentence mm -hmm. just because they can. So, you know, this these legislators taking this move didn't come out of nowhere. It was more like they wanted to be sure that their speech was heard in this case, whereas normally it can be censored by the majority party. It's very similar to what uh, happened in Montana, where uh, they they took away mic privileges for a transgender legislator. Uh, then when she had the gall to not leave the floor to continue coming to work for three days, they eventually kicked her out of the chamber. So she had to sit in the, the hallway. And then the next day, yeah. after she had continued to sit in the hallway outside the chamber, the uh, the leader of the chamber got his mom and some other people to come sit on the bench that she had been sitting on so that she had nowhere to sit. <laughs> to kick her even farther out of the chamber. Just yeah, world-class pettiness, I think. Well, and it's ridiculous. And the reason it got that ridiculous, I think, is because they kind of lost their nerve after the blowback in Tennessee. So they didn't go for an expulsion. They went for a you can't do anything for the rest of the session. And the rest of the session at that point was less than a week. So <laughs> they just tried to carry that petty obstruction as far as they could during that period of time. The expulsion in Tennessee, um, did that last for any of them? Were they all reappointed? Oh, so there were three legislators and that they introduced proceedings against. And they two of them- two out, right? The two who happened to be black, they kicked out. <laughs> the one who was a white woman, they didn't quite get to the two-thirds they needed to kick her out. And then for the two that they spelled, I know in at least one case, their their local district turned around and reappointed him to the seat immediately. They did that with the other one as well? Yes, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> <it> was... <laughs> so in the end, nothing happened. 
in the end, effectively nothing happened. Um, ah, what a like wonderful said, use very, of taxpayer funds. Cases, <laughs> it's a very ineffective fascism in both cases, but it's concerning in the idea that, like, Republicans, for instance, don't get a lot of traction in the California state legislature. But they don't get a lot of traction because they're forbidden from speaking or they're expelled if they say something the Democrats don't like. Yeah, they don't get a lot of traction because there's not that many. Yeah. It's not that many, and their views aren't that popular with the majority of the population of the state. I know we've talked about this before, uh, but it's amazing to me how ineffectual the California Republican Party is. Uh, Even when they break through... It's never a California Republican Party official who breaks through. It's always just a background person in California who happens to be a Republican and doesn't have to deal with the stain of the institutional California Republican Party. They're complete idiots. Uh, Schwarzenegger is my favorite example of that. He doesn't have to answer for the crimes of the California Republican Party because he doesn't know jack shit about the California Republican Party. He's just a dude. Right. Yeah. Nobody who has been in the California Assembly as a Republican for like 12 years is getting elected to anything in the state of California. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, And I guess before we get to our local stuff, our biggest news story... Uh, it has already happened worldwide. It's going to happen in three days in the United States, but, uh, the end of the COVID emergency, we are, we are through a pandemic. Uh, the WHO has announced that the world global health emergency ended uh, a couple days ago. I believe it was Saturday morning. They announced that, uh, the U S will officially allow their state of emergency over COVID to expire on the 11th. That is Thursday. Uh, how do you feel? Safer. I, I was going to say, <laughs> stunned silence <laughs> makes me a little bit curious. Yes. Uh, no, I, mean, I, was, I was debating my several feelings about that. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, we've been with this for, oh gosh, it's now over three years and I mean it feels like a lot of the long emergency stuff has kind of paled out over the last year now so I don't know at least in the area around here it's a little bit <laughs> anticlimactic but uh, at, least, at least in the area right. around here I don't know the WHO was pretty clear that this isn't the end of COVID. It's the end of the threat of the public health system being overwhelmed. That COVID cases have reached a, a point where the hospitals aren't being flooded, where it can be dealt with. There's effective treatments and vaccines, which reduces the overall exposure. It reduces the uh, seriousness of the exposure. There is no great danger to running out of medical beds or anything. That's kind of what it means. But as, uh, as has been pointed out by others, COVID's not going anywhere. It's something we're going to have to deal with. There is never 
gonna be you know the before times again quite so much like there was before there are a few things i th- i hope we take out of it it has been much more normalized now to wear a mask when you're sick uh which is something asian cultures have been doing for decades at this point they're very comfortable with that right. they've had to deal with epidemics of sars and mers and things like that and they've just kind of adopted that i've been seeing that more and more uh, first was everybody who was wearing a mask. That's kind of dwindled down over the last year, but I, I still notice them from time to time, and it seems to be people who have a little bit of a cough, people who are a little bit sick, people who might have the flu, and, oh, this is a good idea to wear a mask when I go out to the store or whatnot. I, I cannot tell you how much I love seeing that. I I don't think we need to mask up 24-7 anymore, but for the love of God, people, if you're sick, throw on a mask. You've probably got a box or two of them in your house and you're going to for a while. <laughs> like, right. Use them. It uh, doesn't yeah. have to be all the time, but if you think you might be contagious, maybe look out for your fellow man and throw a mask on before you leave the house. Yeah. can keep other things from spreading around. It's not yeah. like it's great to have other viruses mm-hmm. out in the population. I mean, we accidentally eliminated the seasonal flu for two years there. Yeah, it was amazing. And just because people were taking kind of precautions. Uh, let's never go back <laughs> to the way it was before. Uh, and I guess with that, we'll move on to our local stories where for, God, I think this is the fourth or fifth year in a row, the, uh, the Oregon GOP has run away. Sort of. Uh, they are being a little different about it this year. Uh, they're specifically seeking to uh, avoid allowing Democrats to uh, pass bills that enshrine abortion access and gender—excuse me, gender affirming slash gender reassignment care uh, in the state constitution. They are not leaving the state. They're not fleeing to Idaho, as had been the case. A lot of them aren't even leaving Salem. A bunch of them uh, reached in a, uh, a Salem church this week. Uh, they're, they're just not showing up to work in order to deny a quorum. Uh, Democrats are not nearly as pissed as they had been before because they're, uh, they're pretty much relying on our ballot measure we passed last year. Uh, this was the, uh, the one that was in direct... Uh, a direct result of the Republicans running away for the last few years. Uh, it puts into place a limit of 10 unexcused absences per session. And once you've exceeded that, you are not allowed to run for re-election anymore. The Democrats are fairly confident in the ballot measure and that Republicans are going to show up before they hit the cap. Uh, Republicans, for their part, are pretty consistently saying they don't think the ballot measure is valid and want to challenge it in court. So we might be heading for a fight over this, but I, uh, I suppose I'll defer to Dan about whether or not they have a chance or not. I mean, I think it depends. I mean, it seems like the, the Oregon courts have been pretty, pretty consistently backed up a lot of, similar legal you know i was going to say a lot of similar uh legal barriers that uh have been set up in the past uh 
yeah, I'm trying to think of like it's not an apples to apples case, but uh, the you know the residency case that uh, knocked Kristoff uh, out of the governor's race last year. But I mean, a lot of these procedural hurdles and what I could see as like First Amendment challenges and things like that that you know they might try and level against a ballot challenge like or a ballot measure like this i'm not sure that republicans are going to have much luck in oregon courts against it now i'm not that's a good point actually i didn't think there was a chance in hell uh christoph would be kept off the ballot i i really did not uh but they stuck firm i i do kind of wonder if he had you know up to the Kristoff dropped the challenge after the Oregon Supreme Court. I kind of wonder if he had kept that going. The federal court system, maybe. Maybe there might have been a different... Then you got to establish some kind of federal jurisdiction. But, yeah. So, yeah. uh, I think there... I don't... Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm not sure that they're likely to get much sympathy from yeah at least the higher levels of the Oregon courts. They did already try a court challenge uh, to these bills, uh, specifically under a 1979 uh, Oregon requirement that bills be written with a title and short description that does not exceed I think it's an eighth grade reading level based on a certain test. Uh, which has been routinely ignored for years in the Oregon legislature. How'd that go? (laughs) Uh, Well, the judge agreed with Republicans that it was illegal uh, and then told them he can't do jack shit about it. (laughs) (laughs) He he specifically said on the merits he agrees with them, but uh, Oregon uh, legislators are immune from suit while the session is ongoing, I mean, they could literally drive over somebody and not be sued until the legislature gavels out. So the judge was like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And, and dismiss the case. All right. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I do think that that kind of provision is well-meaning, but uh, ultimately pretty much worthless now yeah. the the reading level it's just some things are complicated man <laughs> some things can't be can't be broken down into an eighth grade level because guess what we don't allow eighth graders to vote we recognize that you you need a little bit more yeah. comprehension to understand things sometimes exactly. uh, so while it's a good statement of principles bills should be as simple as they need to be or at least descriptions of them it's not going to work <laughs> in all cases. Government's complicated. Society is complicated. Sometimes you need to be complicated to regulate it. <laughs> uh, that sounds elitist to me. Yeah, I, I am a little <laughs> I bit think elitist. We're still for third grade level. <laughs> I mean, put all bills on one page. <laughs> <laughs> Single subjects. Single uh, speaking of Washington, because. <laughs> That's what I was alluding to there. Uh, you're going to have a different governor. 
Yeah, for the first time in over a decade. I think it was last week that at the end of the session, Governor Inslee announced that he is not running for a fourth term. Were you so surprised by that? A little bit. I think there was some expectation that he might run again. I so, kind of feel like he uh, could be governor as long as he wants to up there. He seems popular. Yeah, yeah. So that does kick off a bit of a uh, race for who it's going to be. Uh, so far, the Attorney General, uh, Bob Ferguson, has put together an exploratory committee, and so he's probably going to be the front runner, I would anticipate. Uh, he's got uh, actually a pretty long list of endorsements. Most of the uh, congressional delegation has already fallen behind him, and a number of uh, quite a few state senators and state representatives. Uh, a uh, number of uh, city councilors from uh, Seattle, a uh, number of local councilors, at least up here in Whatcom County as well. But uh, there are some other challengers that could be from the Democratic side of things, uh, potentially the state commissioner of uh, public lands, uh, Hillary Franz, and state senator Mark Mullet also. Uh Folks who said they're not going to run include Lieutenant Governor Denny Heck and uh, King County Executive Dow Constantine. Um, Wait, is he as... still King County Executive? Indeed. He was, so before Bob Ferguson was chair of the King County Council, it was Dow Constantine. So he's back in that job? Uh, well, no, he... Oh, chair and executive, executive. are different positions. Yeah, okay. he's county executive. Yeah, yeah. He's been doing that since 2009. So, and then on the Republican side of things, I mean, I think we talked a little bit before about the Jamie Herrera Butler uh, has expressed some interest. Uh, Never getting through the primary. Not a not. chance. Well, it, it's, it is a top two. So, I mean, yeah, but that relies. Uh, so, that just means candidates with crossover support. I don't think Butler has crossover support. I think Butler is acceptable to a decent number of Democrats, but I don't think they're going to get somebody to actively pull the lever for them, you know, yeah. against an actual Democrat. Right. I mean, the last several Republican candidates have been total whack jobs. So, yeah, the way it's worked out, it's usually been whoever gets a critical mass of, yeah, QAnon nuts. So I did not yeah. realize that the Attorney General of Washington was quite such an important position. Bob Pergus, uh, Ferguson made the Time 100 list of the most influential people in the world as Attorney General of Washington. That's well, he a was little bit crazy. Doing the Trump administration uh, many, 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 many times. <laughs> <laughs> that I think was kind of where he made his claim to fame. So. <laughs> Yeah, so that's coming up. And yeah, I think that's probably part of what has made him the uh, front runner as well. So, yeah, that will be coming up next year. Is Ferguson seen as a moderate? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So, I, I'm um, just noting through his biography here, he did clerk for a Republican appointee judge. Yeah. 
I mean, he's, I, I would say kind of mainstream Democrat is really probably where you'd put him. Like, I don't think he's, um, uh, I mean, it's Washington state. So it's not like he's going to be, um, I don't think you'd put him on, you know, the conservative end of the party or anything like that. But I, I mean, he's endorsed, you know, from, he's got endorsements already from, from Mila Diopal and uh, Adam Smith. So you've got basically both ends of the Democratic delegation. This is basically unopposed in 2016. Yeah. I realize that. Uh, second place finisher is a libertarian. Got uh, about a third yeah. of the vote. Uh, yeah, Republicans have not really tried hard to get him out. Yeah. I just uh, I just asked about the uh, where he stands on the spectrum because I'm noticing he clerked for two judges uh, after he graduated from law school. One was a H.W. Bush appointee, uh, William Nielsen, for a Federal District of Eastern Washington, and then the other one was an LBJ appointee, Iron Bright, for Eighth Circuit. Yeah. Also, uh, well, let's see here. He would have was six nineteen sixty five. So around the time he would have finished, he would have been finishing law school in the early nineties. That's a very different time. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. On a personal level, do you have somebody you'd prefer in the general, uh, the governor's office? Um, I mean, not really. I mean, between no. him and Brams, it's fine. <laughs> uh, as long as it's not a Republican. Yeah. It, in this in this environment, it, you can't let it be a Republican anymore. You just can't. <laughs> Yeah, I think we as a state down here at least have uh, have kind of come around to that. If there was going to be a year that Republicans were going to take the governor's office, it would have been 2020. Kate Brown was the least popular governor in America for reasons. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Yeah, uh, that was weird. Yeah, but uh, if there was ever going to be a year that they actually took the governor's office here in Oregon, it was going to be... 2020 and they didn't even come close with a spoiler on the ballot uh and still not being able to crack you know 10 percent. that was that was kind of a a watershed moment i think yeah i think yeah people realized what was at stake it's like oh wait yeah with dobbs gone it's really really important to not have a republic with dobbs in place it's really important to not have a republican governor yeah. All right. Well, that's the uh, that's the end of our topic list. Is there anything else anybody wanted to mention, Chris, Dan? You got anything local, Chris? Realize you're not Cascadian, but we can throw you a bone. Particularly on my radar, I should probably read my uh, state senator's latest legislative update and see what they're up to. So, I actually have something I want to talk to you about. I think I was looking around, and you guys don't have any mail voting in Vermont. Is that true? Or at least well, that's not true at all. 
do you guys not have no excuse absentee voting or something? I was looking at a map and Vermont struck out stuck out to me and I can't remember why now. Oh, I voted by mail several times. Did I have this backwards? Was it New Hampshire that didn't have any? That hmm. sounds like New Hampshire. Yeah, that does sound like New Hampshire. Okay. Oh, yeah. If you prefer to vote by mail, you can. You can request it. No absentee. Okay. What the hell is an Australian ballot? The Australian ballot is the um, ballot as we have come to know it, <laughs> which is the one where you mark your choice and no one sees your choice and then you submit the ballot. And I think they use that term because there's also a lot of voting by town meeting in Vermont. Okay. In which case all your neighbors do see you vote and you see them vote. Okay, yeah, it was New Hampshire that does not allow um, no excuse absentee. You need an applicable reason to get an absentee ballot there. Yeah, I, I was just looking over voting in the Northeast because you know, we're kind of planning a move in a year or two to like Western New York, that sort of thing. And uh, I, I, I'm going to be sad <laughs> to leave an all-male vote state. It makes it so easy. Um, I was checking out what's allowed over there and whatnot. I'm, I'm surprised by the number of states where you need like a legally acceptable excuse to get an absentee ballot. Yeah, they all need a Del Riley. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's gonna do it for us this week. Thanks for uh, being here with me. I'm glad to be back. And well, Chris, I think you and I are gonna be meeting. For the next few weeks dan was mentioning yep. before he came in he's gonna be pretty busy yep we'll see what i can do <laughs> all right we will miss your expertise yep all right have all a right. great week guys all right i'll see you bye yeah bye